Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. One thing that uh, Colton didn't mention that I feel like I want to mention is that the band, they did get second, but the team that, or the band that got first place was a 5A school. So, I mean, come on, like, what are y'all even doing at this competition? You know, so uh, congrats to them. But welcome, everybody. Really glad to have you here with us today. We are on our 10th and final sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, it didn't feel right having only nine lessons in a sermon. How many, or in a series, how many of you, you would have, like, had a little bit of a twitch for it to end on a on a odd number like that. I know that I'm... Yeah, exactly. It's like it's got to be 8 or 10 or 12. 12 would have been really biblical. So um, anyway, 10 in this series, and this is the final one. I want to ask y'all, how many of you have ever watched the TV show Law & Order? Anybody ever heard of that show or seen that show before? I had to look it up. It's actually on season 22 of that show. Wow, that's a long time. Uh, and uh, when I was growing up, we kind of would go through our law and order phases. My sister, I think, was the one that got the most into watching law and order. But if you're not familiar, the show is basically an hour-long show where the first half of the show is about the police officers and the detectives trying to solve the crime, the law. And the second half of the show is about uh, the judges and the lawyers and all those things trying to determine the court side of the case. And it's, it's a very entertaining show. Obviously... It's an entertaining show because it's been on for a really long time and people keep watching it. Um, But one of the things that if you watch the show long enough, you would watch and basically as you're going, me and my sister or my dad or my mom, we would basically call our shot on, oh yeah, that's the killer. You know, you're watching, you're like, oh yeah, that's the person who did it. That's the, and we all do this whenever we watch movies or anything, especially if it's a, you know, if it's a romance movie, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're getting married, you know. Oh yeah, you know, they're, they're the ones that are going to end up together. Or, or with a you know a murder mystery type of situation. I always I'll do this thing where I'm watching and I'll really pay attention to what the camera focuses in on. And I mean it has happened before where I will literally pause the movie or the TV show and I'll be like, Catherine, I want you to know I have not seen this before, but that person is the killer. Okay, and that because I got to get credit for it. I don't want it to go where I thought it. And then at the end, I go, I knew it. And she's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, no, I knew. Now, how many times am I right? How many times am I wrong? I'm, you know, that's up for debate. But I will make sure that I want to point out. I'll say, hey, listen, it's the hairdresser who did it. She was jealous of this. She put poison in his soap and uh, he died or whatever. You know, I, I, I think I know the answer. But the writers of the Bible, they are also people who really like to leave clues for us, just like in TV shows and movies. With the TV shows and movies, they use music, they use cinematography, with the script, with different things to really try and get you to focus on things, on purpose or not. And the Bible often does that too. God's Word is full of all sorts of things where you're hopefully starting to pick up on, oh, this sounds familiar, or this looks like something I've seen before. You know, the hope is, is that a person who's been reading the Old Testament for a while, whenever Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they're hoping, you know, the author is like hoping like, hey, you know, remember the manna, remember the, in the wilderness, God providing the daily bread, you know, it's a clue. Now, it's a lot harder for us to pick up on those because none of us are reading the Bible in Hebrew and Greek, and it would be a lot easier if we did. So, we're going to start next Sunday. We're just all going to start learning Greek and Hebrew for the next 
30 years to help us with that. But no, we're not going to do that. But you can still catch some of those things in the English. But when we were discussing last week's sermon, last week I preached on and we talked about how God in Deuteronomy, He talks about, He, he makes this promise, if you obey my commands, then I am going to bless you. And if you disobey my commands, then I am going to curse you. And as we were discussing in class, I asked the class, I said, how does that make you all feel? And different people answered. But Joe Bates said out loud, he, he raised his hand and he said, you know, the thing as I'm reading, I, I kind of feel like, where's the, the grace in this passage? And what I told him is I said, just wait. The grace is coming, okay? And if you've read the Bible long enough, you've noticed a trend. You've noticed little clues, little signs, like I said, like, a, like noticing in a detective show that there is a lot of God's people not living how God wants, and then there is a lot of God continually giving them another shot. A lot of undeserved, un... Uh, required forgiveness and what we might call grace where constantly we see the people of Israel do something and constantly God says, all right, I'm going to stick with you. Constantly we see this over and over. And so the question is, hey, Drew, you know, we've been reading this, but I'm noticing the trend, but the piece that's missing is where's the grace in this? And so today, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, we are going to be reading a section where we're going to find the grace. So... Uh, the first, first section of this. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and, you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. i got to pause here first. Right from the get-go, God just is talking about what will happen if you live and obey and how there will be blessings and how if you disobey there will be curses when you go into the promised land. And then this line, it literally says, when... All these blessings and curses come upon you. So Moses is already saying that he anticipates that the people of Israel are not going to fully obey and not going to fully live into it. It's right here. When, not if, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where He scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, you can't you can't go so far away from me that I will not return you to me. From there the Lord will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love Him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all His commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as He delighted in your ancestors, if you obey the Lord your God and keep His commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law, and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, so if you didn't, I mean, hopefully you noticed when you were following along, I highlighted some, some words in yellow, okay? You see all these words in yellow? There and there and there. All right, so one thing that's really cool is that 
That is all the same word in Hebrew, just used in different ways. And that word in Hebrew means return, repent, or restore. Okay, seven times in that section we just read, in seven unique ways, the Hebrew word for repentance is used. And it can mean, like as you, if you noticed, you see, whenever you take them to heart, God will return you from the nations. Whenever you decide to turn, God will restore you. It's the same word. And so the thing I want you to hopefully first pick up on that I think is really cool is that this play on words here is, is awesome because it's not, well, once you return, God's going to think about it and He's going to decide if He wants you back or not. It is simultaneous. You, there is no, well, I returned and then I waited for God to restore me. It is immediate. Our return is simultaneous with God's restoration. Now, that doesn't see, mean we will see the results of that restoration immediately, but we trust that God's instantaneous response to our turning back is there every single time. And we also see in this section, God talks about the method that He's going to use to help us return, to help us be able to live with Him forever in this covenant community. And He says that He will circumcise our hearts or He will cut our hearts. And circumcision was the sign of this is we are a part of God's people. And God says, I'm going to put that sign at your deepest level. I'm going to put that sign on your heart and I'm going to open your heart. I'm going to cut open your heart so that you are able to live into this. So here you go, Joe. This is our grace here. All right? The message we keep reading about. I, I didn't put it in here, but there's a, a line in Deuteronomy 29 where God says, If you disobey me, I will blot out your name from my book forever. And you go, man, that's harsh. And then the very next lines are, but if you will turn to me, if you will return to me, I will restore you. I will bring you back. You can't go far enough away from me that I won't bring you back if you decide to turn. God in His omniscience and His omnipotence is aware of the truth that His people will live in obedience and in disobedience. And He has already prepared a way for you to be restored. When I was reading this, I had to call a few of my friends because I this was something that was on my mind. I thought, you know, if I told someone, hey, I trust you to go do this, and then I made plans for how I was going to fix it when they screwed up, that doesn't really sound a lot like trust. Does it sound like a lot of trust to you? You know, if I said, hey, Marshall, I want you to go do this, and then I called somebody else and was like, hey, I'm going to pay you to do this when Marshall doesn't do it. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like trust. But... I'm going to choose not to look at it like that. I'm not going to choose to look at it like, well, you know, God didn't really even expect us to ever. More, it was God cares so much about us being with Him that He was never going to let us completely get in the way from Him leaving an avenue as far as you can run from Him, from us, Him leaving an avenue for us to be able to be restored and to come back to Him. Does that make sense? I'm going to... Focus on the fact that God so much cares so much for us, cares so much about us being together and restored with Him, that there is no place that you will ever be able to go, you will never be able to out-sin just how much God has prepared a way for you to be back with Him. There is a, a beautiful paradox here that we're never going to be able to grasp, but it's 
an example of this mystery of God. This is, this is a great example of a, the push and pull that often people feel between free will and God's sovereignty, between our agency and God's grace. God wants us to repent, to turn to Him, to call our God and to say, God, I love you. God wants us to choose life. That's the very next section which we preached on, we talked about last week. God is saying, I'm giving you a choice. Here is your agency. Please choose life. Please choose to return to me. Choose to follow me. to to cry out, God, I love you. And at the same time, in His sovereignty, He has already prepared a path for when we don't follow through on that to say, I'm going to bring you back to me. So now let's read this little section here. From chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. This is the next section. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we might obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. This little section is something that Paul is going to quote in Romans 10. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit. But I, I almost didn't talk about it because I was like, Romans 10 and 11 is about as confusing as it gets of Paul. But I'm going to, I'm going to touch on it. But the thing that we see Deuteronomy saying here, Moses is saying, he's like, listen, y'all. And I'm going, to, I'm going to try and talk to you about how I see the truth in this. We know that this is God's word, so we know that there's truth in this. I'm also going to talk about how... God's word itself is going to kind of contradict this a little bit. And then I'm going to come back to, uh, to the truth of Paul talking about this. So the capital T truth that Deuteronomy is trying to talk about here is he is saying, Moses is saying, listen, y'all, living in covenant community, it is not rocket science. God didn't say, if you want to be in right standing with me, you need to be able to solve advanced calculus and be able to do organic chemistry equations. Because if it was, then a lot of us would be in big trouble. You know what I mean? He's saying, God, God's laws and following His commandments, it's not, oh, well, who's, gonna, who's great enough among us to go up into heaven to go get this incredibly difficult law? Oh, who's going to go across the sea to get this incredibly difficult, impossible thing? He's like, no, it's not impossible. You actually have it within you. You have within you the capability of actually living out God's commands. The way Jesus might say it is Jesus gave us an even harder command when he gave us the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you know, you've heard in the law of Moses that it was said this, don't hate or don't murder, but I tell you not to hate. And then at the end of it, Jesus doesn't say, oh, but by the way, this is all way too tough. You're never going to be able to do this. He says, anyone who puts this into practice is like a wise man, and anyone who doesn't is like a foolish man. He doesn't say, by the way, this is all way too difficult, so just like don't even try. He doesn't. Okay, so that's part of what we see Moses saying here today. He's telling the people, he's like, y'all, you can do this. You can actually live into this life that God has for you. But here's why this feels, like I said, contradictory. Because when you look at the entire canon of Scripture... It testifies all the time that no one has ever been able to fully live into following God's commands perfectly. It's never happened except for one man. None of us have ever been able to be the sinless, perfect covenant partner. Every time God says, let's be a covenant partner with Abraham, he does good and he screws up. Okay, David, I'm going to build my kingdom through your lineage. Let's work together and as a covenant partner. David does good and David screws up constantly over and over. We as people are never able to fully obey us or as 
Paul might say, the law of Moses, it cannot save you. But here is where Paul is going to come back and he's going to quote Deuteronomy 30 in Romans and say, this is why Deuteronomy 30 is true. Because in Deuteronomy 30 it says, this word, it's not in heaven, or maybe the way that Moses might be saying it, it's not something that's part of God's unknowing mystery. It is something that God has given to man. And what Paul is going to say is, this is true. God's covenant, living in covenant partnership is something that God has given to man. And his name is Jesus Christ. You are going to be able to have this eternal life that is going to be, as Deuteronomy says, it's not far from you, it's near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart that you may obey it. And you're going to receive it when you receive Jesus Christ as the truth of this. Does that make sense? You with me? Encountering Jesus is going to be the source of which you are going to be able to follow through with keeping these covenant commands. So now, I'd like to try my best to talk to you about why Deuteronomy 30, it had to be the last sermon, because it's a preacher's dream, basically, to be able to take a passage of Scripture and to be able to show how, in a short little verse, short little section, it encapsulates the entire arc of God's design and for restoration of His people. Okay? So let's think through it real quick. Deuteronomy 30. I'm not going to go back, but let's think through it real quick. He says... I, y'all are about to go into the promised land, and I want to bless the world through y'all. I need y'all to be my covenant partners. And so I need you to live into this covenant. But you're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. And when you do, I am going to prepare a way to restore you. Because I need my covenant partners. And the way I'm going to restore you is with a new heart. And then when you have done that, let's go be covenant community together with this new heart that you have. So let's, let's think about the arc of Scripture. From the beginning, God created humankind for a purpose and a role. To be his image bearers and to be ambassadors of his kingdom and his reign. To be covenant partners. The first thing he says to Adam and Eve is to fill the earth and to rule with him. To be a co-ruler with him. To glorify him as God. From the beginning, we had our highs and our lows of living into that commission. But not because God made it too complicated or tricky, but because of our fragmented hearts. Our desire of good things in the wrong way. When we decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. When we put ourselves as the most important thing in the world. From the beginning, God has always been clear about the accountability of our choices. Life-giving choices that lead to life-giving consequences. And therefore, as a uh, necessary by definition counter to that, broken choices leading to broken consequences. And yet, from the beginning, God has made plans for restoring His people and His world back to their purpose and back to their relationship with Him. It all hinges on His action of restoration and our action of repentance. Well, which is it, Drew? Yes. Okay? I think someone said, I want to say it maybe, I can't remember who said it, but it's... Um, we, uh, we can't without God and He won't without us. That's one way that I've heard someone say it. It all hinges on His action of restoration and our action of repentance, of turning. You will find Him when you turn toward Him because He will find you first. Let me say that again. You will find Him when you turn to Him because He will find you first. How will God do this? As the prophets foretold in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God will accomplish all of this by giving a new heart. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The way that he gives us a new heart is by giving us his son to completely and utterly accomplish our redemption and reconciliation and recommissioning. The life that God has to offer for us has always been right there. The word from the beginning that was made flesh in Jesus Christ. It has always been very near to us. So you see, you might have thought, oh, everything you just said, Drew, sounds like a great... You know, that sounds like the story of the Bible. It's also the story of Deuteronomy 30, 1 through 14. It's right there. It's constantly, I want to partner with you. Here's, I, I thought about this. Um, you know, we talked about how in the Church of Christ we have the five fingers of, of uh, salvation, right? And it's here, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. Or is it here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, Okay. And I was like, you know what? Deuteronomy teaches us the five fingers of God's restoration of your life. The first is, He has a purpose for you. He has called us into covenant with Him. That's what Deuteronomy is about. You are about to go into the promised land. Let's get back on the covenant train together. The second finger is, you will pass and you will fail. You will succeed and you won't succeed constantly in actually living into that. The third finger you could say is that God is constantly asking you to repent, to return to Him. And He is constantly right there restoring you simultaneously. They are inseparable from each other. There's no such thing as repentance without restoration. No such thing as restoration without repentance. And then the fourth thing that you could argue is that it is how is He going to do this? With a new heart. None of this is possible without a new heart. We will never be able to be good enough based on our willpower to live out what God wants for us. But when we get a new heart, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we can live into this covenant together. Jesus is going to make it happen. And then the final thing is, we're back to the beginning. The final thing is, when you do that, we are able to be recommissioned to be the people that God made us to be. To be the light of the world, to be a city on a hill, to be the covenant partners that the world looks at and goes, man, I want that. God is going to bless us and bless the world through us. And so I want to close by reading from 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 7, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Another place where I think it encapsulates everything that we've just been talking about. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Repent. Return. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the covenant partners that he designed for us to be all along. If any of you would like to learn more about just how much the grace of God is able to extend beyond however far you've run, if any of you would like to learn more about how repentance and restoration are tied together, if you'd like to learn more about how all of this is so that we can be God's 
image bearers and serving his kingdom in the world today. We'd love to talk to you. And if any of you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and sing.